0: the podcast of Amago Day community where we're convicted to help bring the whole gospel to the whole person to the whole world. Join us in this Sunday's service as we look to the scriptures seeking to be transformed into the image of Christ. Well, this is uh, week number three of the three weeks that have had the absolute joy of being here with you speaking on the topic of Shalom. And what I'd like to do right now is to start out and read this passage that we actually walked through last week out of the book of Philippians. And it's going to come up on the screen. If we can then read this out loud together. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God Which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Every time I read that, I, I long for that. You know, I, the peace of God, you know, life is so chaotic and crazy and we're filled with activity. And then you read this passage the peace, the shalom of God which surpasses all understanding, we can't tangibly even define it, it's something we experience and exist in because it's relational, will then guard our hearts. I shared last Sunday that even that word guard is even used in a military way, like they've been familiar with Roman guards protecting our minds and our hearts, our emotions that can go crazy and chaotic and go spinning into desperation when we're in Christ Jesus. And this shalom is something also, as I taught last week, that we have to arrange our lives around. It doesn't just come naturally. And so what I want to do this morning is then speak about when we experience shalom, God's shalom, we realize that we cannot help but want others to experience shalom this shalom as well. Shalom is not just for personal reasons. Shalom is our experience in Jesus and this peace, which is meant for others to then experience. And what is our role in that? And that's what I want to talk about today. Now, this definition, if you haven't been here the past two weeks, I've been defining it. Shalom, it comes from the Hebrew word, and I brought out some uh, passages two weeks ago from the Old Testament, and it means completeness, completeness wholeness, health, peace, welfare, safety, soundness, tranquility, prosperity, like fullness, rest, harmony, the absence of agitation or discord, like that's just, every time I look at that, I was like, I want that so much. And it is possible, even though life is chaotic. But I want to now do is uh, share with you a time which was probably the most darkest of my life, It was the time when I probably had the least amount of shalom that I was experiencing, possibly even anti-shalom I was experiencing. It was like a, a very, very difficult time. I'm hoping by sharing the story, some of you might be able to relate to it in situations that you're going through that aren't necessarily the same one that I was, But in this room right now, there's probably many of you that are going through some very strong, chaotic, uh, lack of shalom experiences. And I'm going to show you the one sentence from Jesus that snapped me out of the gloom and caused me to move back towards shalom and then passionately wanting others to experience the shalom as well. So let me just start with telling you one of the, I think it was the darkest time period of my life. And ironically, it came in the midst of great joy and fruit that was going on. And fruit by fruit, I mean just like uh, God was doing a lot of things in the church and the ministry that I was part of. I uh, started out as a youth pastor in a church, and the church was about 4,000 people, it was a large church. And the high school ministry grew to several hundred high schoolers. And teenagers were putting their faith in Jesus. And it was like this exciting time of, of just seeing these teenagers who had no understanding who Jesus was, putting faith in him and baptizing these teenagers in the new life of Jesus so that they were then experiencing shalom. And then as the group grew, we realized we have to now have them part of the church. And we went through all of these interesting kind of thoughts of like, how do we do that? We ended up launching a college and a post-college kind of ministry that grew very, very large. We had two worship gatherings. In fact, it ended up uh, another wonderful season of ministry, and people becoming Christians, and people making life-changing decisions as they chose to follow Jesus, and all of the things that you could just hope for and pray for, God was then doing. And the ministry that I was part of became about one-third of the whole church and we had a team that was like serving together and praying together. And there's like this wonderful season in the, the volunteer community, which, you know, we're all in this together and we all had our parts. And there's like mission going on and there's small groups and this fantastic. It was just like every day was just amazing what God was doing. And then all of a sudden I was called into an office room. And I had to sit down with one of the staff that was overseeing me. And he ended up saying, well, Dan, we have made some decisions. And what we want to do with what you're doing here, and it was two Sunday night worship gatherings, is we're going to make them basically kind of fold them in, and we're not going to make them the same as the rest of the church, because it was kind of, they, they were trying their best to try to figure out what to do. And they didn't involve me or any of the staff that I was with in any of the decisions. And it was like, what? And do you know the people? Do you know what's going on? and the way it was working out without any discussion coming down it was one of these decisions that was made and they're, and they're wonderful godly folks so they just viewed things a certain way there wasn't like lack of integrity or, or, or anything like that it was just they were the ones that I was serving under in the hierarchy to use that word of the church that was making the decisions for the ministry that I was in and it felt like everything was just yanked out from underneath me and I begged I'm like did we do anything wrong and they're like no, not at all. It's great what's going on, but we just feel it should be like this instead. And what they did was the decision was made to break up our team. So the person that was, I had served with for uh, 50, uh, what it was, probably about 10 years at that time period between youth and the young adult ministry, we were then going to be separate and he was going to serve like in the music team for the rest of the church, which was Great but then we weren't like connected in that camaraderie anymore and our small groups person was then going under the small groups person and our children's per- like, and the thing was just divided and that means not just the staff but all of the volunteers were then divided up and it, and it was kind of like it felt like the heart of what we're doing just was ripped out in many ways. Now we were serving Jesus and so that was the heart of what we're doing but from a human standpoint that's what occurred and what I can tell you is that you know, initially it was such a shock, and I, it's hard to even communicate the depth of what it was like. But it was like if you were building on something and you're doing it with pure motives, and think everything is going great, and then something out of the blue comes into your life and changes everything. That's what this was like. And in your life, it could have been all of a sudden someone, something comes in, and a breakup relationally happens, or you find you know you lose a job, or just something that's just out of the blue. And everything then starts building up, kind of like, I'm feeling such anxiety now. And I went home that night and I was like, part depressed, part anxious, part angry. And over the course of the weeks, and I yielded to what was going on because these were good people. They were doing their best to discern what they felt God wanted. And if that's what God wanted, then I have to... But I did not like it whatsoever. And then bitterness got into my heart. And I started, you know, thinking about church and organized religion. And I started having these thoughts, you know, it's like churches are messed up. Especially big churches and there's all hierarchy and there's power and, and I can say this with just absolute that I did not start gossiping I caused no division we eventually planted a church out of that and I thank God that he kept me from doing any type of divisiveness or gossip or tearing down leadership or else I never would have been able to plant a church out of that church later on you know I had my two or three friends that, that we <clears throat> processed it all with What I can say is that I just, it just became dark. I couldn't sleep. I got depressed. I was um, bitter. And there was no shalom anymore. And, you know, we go through this, but it was kind of like ongoing. And then I finally asked Josh, I'm like, I have to go pray. I have to get out of here. I got to try to think because I have no joy anymore. I started wondering, like, should I become a high school teacher? Should I just get out of this? I actually wrote a resignation letter because I'm like, this is it, I wanna be out of this church stuff. And I decided to take a drive and my, my person that I've been serving with for so many years, Josh recommended going down to a place in Carmel, California, it's about 40 miles south and there's a little tiny church there called Chapel, Church of the Wayfarer, Chapel of the Wayfarer, and he's like, it's a good place to go in, and you can just sit, and be quiet, and pray, I'm like, that sounds nice, so I went out, and I got in my 1966 Mustang, and what I notice is, when I don't have peace, and when I'm irritated, I notice all of the rust on the car, and so like, that was, everything was pronouncing, and I'm like, look at this, like, rust, and like, I hate church, I hate organizing, like, this was going on through my head, And I just got in the car, and I went down. I'm like, I just got to clear my head. God, I need need shalom. I need peace. I don't know how to deal with this. So I go into there. That's the actual chapel. I took a picture when I was there about a year ago or so. Um, Went in there, and I sat down um, in the pews up near the front. And I'd be like, all right, God, give me peace about this. What? And it seemed like every moment when I just started getting a little calm, all of a sudden the back doors burst open and a family would come in like, oh, what's in here? And they'd be taking, and I'd look like, oh, there's a, you know, and they could see that they were, they'd were they get quiet. But what Josh didn't tell me was that during tourist season, that little chapel gets people in there all the time because it's right off the main strip and people are coming in to see it and, and everything. Cause it's like left open to the, so it seemed like every 15 minutes somebody was coming in there So then I'm sitting in there and I start getting angry at Josh. I'm angry at my Mustang. I'm angry at Josh. I don't like church anymore. I mistrust pastors. You know, like all this stuff's going on in my head. Like, no shalom, no shalom. And then I even got to the point, like, I'm just going to lay down. So I laid down on the left side. I just laid on, under, because like someone comes in, then I'll just, you know, they take pictures and they leave or whatever. I just laid on the floor up near the front in between two of the pews, so then I'm laying there, and I'm like, oh, this is, what's going, on? it's just getting worse. And I'm laying, and all of a sudden the door opens up, my like, oh, God, someone's coming in, and then I hear like, pat, 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 pat. And I look up, and there's like a little boy, and he comes running up, and then he sees me, and he goes like, oh, and I'm looking up at him, like, get out of here, you know. But, but then he's like, daddy, daddy, there's a man in the back. And so then I, I stand up, and I look at the dad, and I can see him going like, oh, let's get out of here, you know. And so he gets out of there. And I'm just like, that's it, like God, I can't stand this anymore. No shalom. Like and I sat and right as I did this, I'm sitting there in the pew, and then I'm looking down, like, oh I give up. All of a sudden, all of these lights start coming in on the the, the floor. I'm like, look at all those colored lights. And then I'm like, is those left behind Tim Lahaye novels right? Is this it? You know, like, and because like these light, and then it turned out it was the sun had come out and it was shining through these stained glass windows, and I saw they were there the whole time, but the sun wasn't out, so you couldn't quite see them in the sense of the beauty of them, and the light was just shining through, and the whole place got like all colorful, and then I'm just like, look at that, and then I look up at it, I'm like, beautiful, you know, stories from scripture that were portrayed throughout all these stained glass panels and then I started looking at some of these and I'm like who's the guy with the axe you know like I don't quite remember a guy chopping down a tree and then there's you know like is, is I, I saw like looking at some of these and then I realized like there are some of them or there's a pipe organ in one I'm like what are, what are these and so I end up going into the office and I'm like who are those people that are on the bottom panel And they gave me a little pamphlet that they had made that was describing each one. And it turned out that what they chose to do was tell the stories of people who committed their lives to following Jesus, allegedly, in the stories of what they were saying, and then how God chose to use them in their lifetime. So some of them were people like, they'd have, um, let me see, the first one is... is, uh, Augustine. Some people say Augustine or Augustine, and and he was someone that you could see like this was the stain. And you look at the stained glass ones, like little tiny pieces that the pieces left on their own wouldn't make sense. But like, just look how beautiful, and they put them all together, and they do a little some etchings in them. But he wrote this book, The City of God, which is read even today. It's kind of like a, a manifesto about church Christianity. And then you can, and then to the left, there's a little symbol they had of a heart. And then there's a, on flame and an arrow, kind of arrows going through it. And the little thing I was reading was saying that he was known as someone who his writing in his lifetime was used in mighty ways for God. And his heart was so remorsed for his sin that they showed it was like on flame for God, but it was pierced in remembrance of, of that he was a sinner. And that's kind of like what that symbol meant of what represented him. Then they had some other panels. There was a fellow from, it was in Europe, and he was the one with the the ax chopping down the tree. And the story with with him was that there was sacred oak trees, I believe they were, and these oak trees were worshipped. They believed there were spirits in them, so the people were worshipping them. And he's like, no, those are false gods. That's not the true God. And he took an ax and he cut one of the trees down, and he actually then built a little chapel to worship the true God from the wood of the trees that they were then worshiping, saying, this is the true God. We're making uh, a worship home for him you know, it, it, out of your your sacred oaks. And the people did not like it, and they ended up killing him. And so what they end up having, you can see there's a, the axe representing what he did, and then the... Uh, The little book with the kind of sword through it was as they were killing him, he had some sort of, it wasn't the Bible, but it was like commentary on the Bible or some sort of sacred writing like that, and he held it up so it would not get dirty or damaged because he revered it so much, and then they murdered him. And so through history, you know, uh, there he is being represented as one who took a stand for Jesus in this way, you know. Then you had other people that were represented in here with music, and you saw, like, how Bach had actually the. You see the um, the symbols there and the SDG, and the story was having that as he was creating music, uh, he would write SDG, and it's the words that actually mean "glory to God alone," giving credit to God for the music that he was composing. And so that was what he was remembered for, like a unique person in his time period, creating music and then giving the credit and glory to God for the creativity that he was doing. And then you had other, there was uh, Florence Nightingale, I was reading somewhat of her theological beliefs, which seemed, uh, I wasn't sure exactly what she for sure believes, but they put her up there, and it was, she was known as the founder of modern nursing, and she was a social reformer, Uh, Making rounds at midnight to people that were hurting and she was also involved in hunger relief in India and she was trying to abolish uh, females that were caught in prostitution. And so she was put up as someone who is basically doing what Jesus would probably call kingdom activity here on this earth and so that was what she was remembered by. You can see the photo of her with the patient there that she's helping. And Now she's remembered in her lifetime, bringing that to others. You know, there was Francis Asbury, who rode—he rode, rode uh, three hundred thousand miles on a horse—and he delivered sixteen thousand five hundred sermons about Jesus. He was so passionate for people to know who Jesus was. That think of this: three hundred thousand miles riding on a horse to proclaim the good news of who Jesus is. He must have gone through hardship. He must have been in terrible storms and rain. This was back east and, and had disappointments and conflict, the very things that I was going through. But I certainly haven't ridden 300,000 miles on a, on a horse in the, in the, in the woods and the mountains. And I started just looking at that and I'm like, oh, Lord. There's people who dedicated themselves to you. They served you on this mission. They likely were experiencing shalom to then bring your peace and the news of Jesus to other people. And right as I was feeling that, and I am not somebody who uh, does this like, all right, magic verse of the day, like, all right, God, I'm gonna do this today, and I point like there, you know, but this is what happened. I'm like, oh, Lord. And my Bible just like flopped open and I looked down, it was a different Bible, but then right there was this passage from Luke, chapter 19. And it's about Jesus when he's coming down the Mount of Olives, right before he's going to end up getting arrested and then crucified. And he knows what's about to happen and he sees Jerusalem, the very city who is going to murder him. And it says, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. He wept over the people who were going to murder him. And he said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. And this peace was life through him and God's shalom that could be experienced. And see, it wasn't like he was then cursing at them or angry at them or bitter at them. We know he struggled in the garden. The prayer is saying, not my will, but yours be done, Lord. But what we see is he so had compassion for the people, even those that were going to kill him, he weeps for them. And I read this, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. And everything started unraveling about, why am I even in ministry I got into this to begin with because Jesus saved me and my life was heading in a direction and as I understood grace and who Jesus was, it then went this direction. And then I started learning, you know, remembering this and I'm sitting there like, church is messed up because we're all messy. But church is a good thing and that's the way God chose to, you know, Jesus told us to be functioning in local churches and how that all works and yeah, they're not perfect but That's the mission that we're on. And I started reflecting on these scriptural truths, like in Ephesians, when we're reminded about who we are in Jesus and how we even came to know Ephesians, the classic passage. If you've been around churches for a while, you'll, you'll hear this over and over generally because it's so important truth. For it is by grace we have been saved and that grace is through Jesus, it's not, again, through faith. Right? Not through action, not through work, not through horseback riding in the mountains, not by building a college ministry or whatever. All of it—it's through faith you're saved, not of yourself. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. It's that sense of we're given this gift of forgiveness and new life and eternal life through Jesus and then we experience shalom the peace of Christ that's beyond all of our understanding I, i'm like oh lord thank it's like thank you and then it goes on for we are god's handiwork created in Christ Jesus not just to sit around with each other but to do good works and then this part which God has prepared and advanced for us to do, every single person in this room, God has purpose sounds so cliche, I mean purpose for you, but this is the truth. He knows us. He knows our troubles. He knows our unraveling, our addictions, he knows our weaknesses, he knows our Lack of peace and our anxiety. He knows if you have something in your life that's just been yanked out from underneath you and you're in turmoil about it and you're not experiencing shalom. He knows all of that and that's life circumstances. But then the peace of Christ that keeps us stable even in our, guards our minds and our hearts even when circumstances may not be going the way we hope. And then it's not just for that because you know what, beyond our own circumstances is Difficult as they are, is that we have this purpose to then proclaim the good news and live out the shalom to other people, so they experiencing it. And what's interesting even about us being God's handiwork, the word handiwork comes from the Greek word, I'm putting it up there, we get the word poem. And God created each of us as a work of art to be used by Him having received his grace through Jesus. And it's like every one of you, we're all different. But every single person in this room is a beautiful piece of artwork, a poem, a colorful piece of stained glass. You know, like there's beauty in us, even when we may not believe in ourself. And we're here for a reason. That's why you'll see Paul in Ephesians as he continues, and he starts saying, it's like, "I his purpose." you know, a little bit before this passage, he starts saying, like, "I was, I was given to preach the, the task of preaching to the Gentiles, the unsearchable riches of Christ, like there. But then Paul goes on, like his intent was now, through the church, through this imperfect, messy thing called church, right? that the manifold wisdom of God should be made known not even just to human beings, but to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Mind-blowing. But through us, through us, according to his eternal purposes which he accomplished in Christ Jesus. You take this and you start looking at this and then it starts saying like, when you look at manifold wisdom, it should be made, that manifold means multicolored, multifaceted that God's shalom should be made known, like everything about him, grace, salvation, the joy of knowing Jesus through the church, through us, how he created us to be part of this somehow in this beautiful, multicolored, multifaceted way. It's not just one way or one unique way. And then I started thinking of this with the stained glass, that we are all works of art created by God for this purpose they're all different but we are stained glass on display right now to the heavenly realm for his glory and it's that sense is that our broken stained glass our lives and to use the word sin which means we miss God's perfect mark and we all sin we're all goof up and, and go against God's ways in our lives but as we're then stained by sin God takes all of our pieces and our brokenness and he puts them back together in this beautiful picture. And we're on display. Our lives are on display. That's what, like, and you start thinking of this and you play this out. Is that even in our mess ups, even when I get bitter and when I had those things going on. Even when we have things yanked out from us and our emotions get the best of us. And, right? The thing is, is that God pieces us all together in a beautiful display And even though we're stained due to our sin, it is the light of Jesus which then shines through us which is beautiful. Not just the stained glass on its own, but it's like he pieces us together, all the little broken things, all the things that we think are ugly or this didn't happen and he redeems them, he puts them all together and then the light of Christ shines through that to be in the world bringing his peace, his shalom to others. That's like amazing. And then I started thinking like, what would my stained glass be like? You know, God, like what what if, you know, 200 years from now there's a stained glass? What is my life like? What, What will I be remembered for? What am I dedicating my life to? Amidst the times when there's not shalom, what, what continues and what continues? And so I, I process often by like drawing and doodling and things. So I want to try something on the screen here. Is I was then saying, like, all right, here is my life. And I'm like, all right, if I'm going to be um, I'm going to draw like here's a stained glass panel. And so as I was sitting there first, I'm like, well. Here's me. All right, what would I be in my state I'm in right now? So I'd be like, let me see, I'd be echo. Like, oh, uh, I'm kind of angry right now. I'm t- really tired and stressed. Um, I'm kind of mad at Josh for sending me to this place. I'm pretty, um, I'm like kind of angry, like, Josh, I can't believe you sent me to this chapel. That's, this day is getting wrecked, um, you know. Uh, you know, almost like uh, you know. And there's, uh, there's, so there's kind of like, and then my thinking of like, uh, there's my car. Oops, and um, and all I see on my car is uh, all of the rust. So there's my rusty car. Like, now there's a beautiful stained glass image. Of what would be on that church wall if that was, there's Dan, no shalom. Um, then I started just thinking and drawing this out. And instead, I'm like, right, let me uh, think of this my life. Jesus, it's all about you. So I'd start out with him. Then, I started thinking, man, I just love the scriptures because the scriptures are what reveals everything to me. So I'm like, all right, I want it to be about the teaching and the scriptures and Jesus. And then um, I started thinking about uh, creativity because I can't help but want to communicate as creatively as possible because I'm not a, a cognitive learner. I also learn different ways and visually, and that's even what you saw some of the things I've been doing in the past couple of weeks. But, so maybe like an art palette you know, with colors and, 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 and things. And then I said, but it's not just about that. I wanted to creatively try to bring Jesus and the scriptures to people. And one of my themes is remembering that the church is not a building, but it's people. So I want to be like, you know, not just the building, but church is people. You know, imperfect men and women of God that are doing our best to serve him you know, in this world. And then we're not just happy worshipers, we're worshipers on this mission. So we wanna be like in the world where there's broken hearts and there's questions, you know, and maybe through Jesus and the hope of him and grace, they'll be healed and put faith in him and learn about him and then join us on this mission. So I kinda drew something like this out I'm like, I don't know how the stained glass would look, but that's kind of how I would want to be remembered more by. Creatively, like bringing the truths of Scripture and Jesus and the questions that we may have in this world and hearts changed and then join in on serving Him. And I'll tell you, in the midst of that sense of yucky non shalom and all the situation, when I read that passage where Jesus wept, And if only they'd know peace. I can remember being in that room. just like, oh God, like I'm in this. This isn't going the way I want it to. I don't know how it's going to end. But I'm in this to serve you, Jesus. Because people need to know who you are. And that reframed everything. My problems were still there. They didn't go away. And eventually it led actually to a church plant. That's when we planted our church. I thank God it didn't cause division or cause bitterness in that sense because then we never would have been planted at the church. And the circumstances will change. But when I realized grace th- through Jesus, faith, purpose, mission, oh Lord, people need to know who Jesus is. There's so much kingdom activity we need to participate in. We must do something. That's what snapped me out of it and I experienced shalom again and then dealt with my circumstances with the peace of Jesus guarding my heart and my mind. Now you in this room are dealing with things too. You know, it's, it's part of life. And here's the thing. This church, what an example you are to the city and around the country. You may not know this, you know, but around the country, people know Mama Day for your involvement in the city, the things that we heard there this morning, and the way you bring shalom out there. I can say this last week when I was flying home and then I'm like, oh, I'm going to miss Amago so much because I love being here. I, I mean, it's weird. I really love being here. And then it was sad. I'm in the plane. I'm like, no, I get to go back next week. And then my heart lit up again. I'm like, great, because there's something special that God is doing in this church. You are being shalom in this city. And so for those that are experiencing anxiety and tension, you know, Think maybe like that God, how much he does care about you. And even if you're feeling broken, those little broken pieces are then used for Jesus' light to shine through out there in some purpose that you have. Never give up. Our emotions are tricky. What we're gonna do right now is in your, in your, when you're walked in, you're given a piece of paper, a little kind of um, half sheet. And on this half sheet, what I'd like to do is we're gonna just sit for a, a, even up to a song as the band comes up and play and I'd like you to, say Shalom at the top. And if you could think, you know, and I know it's a short time, you could go away for an hour or two and do this, but if you say like, what would your stained glass, not necessarily even be like right now, but what would you like to say if 200 years from now, there's a stained glass representing your life? And how you brought shalom out. What, what would it be? You know, for me it might be, you know, I, I, Bible creativity, thinking, teaching to people. You know, and I tried to write some of that. And I'm very interested in the question, deeper questions, of apologetical, kind of tough questions of faith because people outside have those. And, and, I, and I tried to draw something. What would you, your stained glass, be? If you can think, you know, and if you're not any artistic way, then maybe just write out something that I pray that this is what my life is known as in that on display, despite our brokenness, maybe just some thoughts about how would you like to be remembered by 100 years from now on a stained glass image. And then there's pens the ushers have if you need one or a pencil. They're going to be up so you can just have one pass by in these, I think, these baskets. And then as you come up for communion, if you so want, just dedicate it. Bring this up with you and just lay down your words or your drawings up on the table because it's through the power of Jesus and his blood and his resurrection and God's spirit that we can do this. So Lord, as we're here now, I thank you for shalom. May the shalom that you give us guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. May we then be motivated to the world around us that needs Jesus, whether they realize it or not. If you're in this room, you might be hearing this, you might say, I don't even know if I need him. We really believe you do as I do and so many others do and experience the joy of it. May this church go on with the activity it is, the beauty of the shalom that's going out into the city. So Lord, we now just come to you. We thank you. And God, I just pray for those that are not experiencing shalom that you will give them your peace. God, give them your peace. Give them your peace. We pray that God will use this message to strengthen your faith and draw you into a deeper relationship with himself. If you're interested in hearing other sermons or want more information about the church, please visit our website at www.amago-daycommunity.com.